Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in space. Or have we already figured out that it's worth the cost of beaming out to an astronaut in space and the intro is actually the end? Who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll maybe find out or maybe by the end we'll just be confused. Right. Uh, anyway, this, this week, day, episode, this episode, we're talking about Tenet, uh, the latest Christopher Nolan joint. He doesn't really have a he doesn't really have a word he goes with. Um, I feel like his career would be very different if he would. like slapped that at the front of every single one of his movies. A Chris Nolan, a Christopher joint. Nolan, jo- yeah. It would a be. C Nolan joint, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is this movie. This movie uh, stars John David Washington, son of Denzel mm-hmm. Washington, as well as Robert Pattinson. Um. It is, uh, it's a movie that ha- had a lot riding on its shoulders, I feel. Um, you know, theaters across the U.S. were shut down, um, and many still are shut down. Um, yep. But Tenet, I know Christopher Nolan was quite eager to, um, you know, get, get this movie released. And he wrote, I think he wrote an op-ed in like the New York Times or something like that. Wall Street Journal, some, some, some major publication sort of, you know, um, imploring the public to kind of consider going back to the cinema because, you know, obviously he's a filmmaker who loves the cinema and believes it's an important part of the fabric of society or, or what have you. And so, Mm -hmm. so they, so Tenet, um, uh, unlike many other major releases that were scheduled this summer, Tenet actually got released. And, uh, I think it's been, I think it's been getting a bit of a clobbering at the box office. It's, you know, Americans are not ready to go back. I think sort of speaks to the chaos and uncertainty going on in this country. Although if you didn't know the, the movie has been doing quite well internationally. Well, I say quite well, I think it's been doing much better than in the U S anyway. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that makes sense in that like most other developed, you know, industrialized nations don't have the same sort of degree of pandemic problem that America is faced with. And so it feels like people are probably a little, a little less scared off and a little more comfortable, like doing things in public than, than we are here. So it certainly seems that way. I don't know. I don't know how true that is, but, or, or, or how, like, I don't know how other countries compare to the U S really other than just graphs and stuff, you know? Um, right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that is certainly my understanding. Um, anyway, uh, so it's a little, I don't know. I don't know. It, we are, we are breaking from what we've been doing the past few months and talking about a movie that's actually in theaters, uh, because we actually saw this at a drive-in theater which we're fortunate enough to have sort of available to us. It's in a, what, about an hour away from, from where you and I live. So that's right. Not bad at all. If you ask me. And I know, and I know that there's a lot of people out there who kind of always, that's their sort of status quo, right? Like who live, they live in towns that really don't get a lot of movies and they have to drive an hour or something to see, you know, the latest non blockbuster release 
anyway. Right. Um, right. So I think you and I, and I, I gotta say, um, I kind of warned you about the drive-in, uh, that we were going to, because I, someone else had warned me, but we really lucked out. We got, we got some primo seats right up front. Our cars were just like right up to the screen. I, I personally felt like I had a great view. It wasn't that, it, I didn't feel like it was that degraded from a theatrical experience personally. Yeah, I feel like probably the the biggest thing that was that suffered in the drive-in screening was the sound. Yeah, for I sure. Would say. The audio. I feel like the, you know, you're listening on your car stereo. There's parts where like the music, for example, is supposed to like really boom and 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 right. sort of like you're supposed to feel it, you know, in your gut and right. Coming through the car stereo, not only not only is it just not the same sort of sound you know, fidelity you'd get in a theater, but I think it's, um, I think it's like, so there was some, it was compressed a little bit. It felt like the, the dynamic range wasn't as, wasn't as. Yeah. I mean, who, who knows who, I mean, cause it's like, if you think about sort of all the degrees of transformation, it's like, uh, or it's like, well, you've got the original source audio, but then it's being like, uh, it has to be broadcast via some sort of FM, FM transmitter. Yeah. And then it has to go through your car stereo and then it has to go through your car speakers. And it's just sort of like, there's probably so much lost between those two things or, you know, across those, you know, three different sort of bits of transformation. So at any rate, like, you know, I'm very aware that the way that I saw this movie was basically me like getting like slipping through on a technicality. Mm -hmm. But if I saw like Christopher Nolan and I was like, Hey, I saw your movie. At a drive-in, he'd be like, you son of a bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he'd be very displeased that, like, I didn't see it the right way. Then again, maybe he'd just be happy that people saw his movie. Yeah, I was going to say, that might be true under normal circumstances, but I think given the pandemic, he would probably say, I'm glad you saw it. Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, And, you know, and paid money to see it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, let's actually uh, talk about the movie a little bit, I guess. Um, do you want to do you want to give the synopsis? I sure do. Armed with only one word, tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through the a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. There you go. I the the last dozen words of that are nonsense (laughs) (laughs) gobbledygook um but you know they got to keep it they want to keep it as as obscure as possible right it's got to be mysterious that's right yeah Yeah. um okay so tenet yeah the latest from christopher nolan let's talk expectations what were your like how how big of a nolan fan are you and what were your expectations for a tenet um i i i like Christopher Nolan movies almost uniformly. I don't think I've ever seen one that I didn't like. Um, I think uh, in- increasingly I'm sort of of this general feeling that his movies have like a trick, like a, th- a gimmick mm-hmm. that they're that they're working with. And the gimmicks are almost uniformly like very good, but it's sort of like, 
I don't expect, I expect it almost to be just like a, Hey, look at this new thing that I learned how to do. Mm. And that's, that's the thing that I'm going to like show you for two, two and a half hours. Um, and he does it so well that I'm, that I generally am on board, but I don't, I don't sort of have the same, like, um, I don't expect to be like blown away emotionally or like in, in, in some of the ways that maybe some other direct, like I don't have the same sort of high lofty sort of cerebral expectations from like, uh, like emotions and themes perspective as I do with like a David Fincher or something like that. Oh, interesting. Um, Fincher is not the name I thought you would have gone to because I, I find Fincher to also often be kind of cold on the emotional front, but uh, yeah, but thematically maybe you find Fincher's films to be like richer. Right. Yeah. I mean, and maybe this has to do with the fact that I just recently like cracked open Zodiac, like Mm. not too long ago. I, I, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I just wanted to watch some bits of it, but it was just sort of like, um, just the uh there's like it's so technically like fincher's movies are so technically perfect but also i feel like the screenplays are so um he he's like extremely exacting with like the the language and the like the thinking in his films Mm -hmm. that it just feels like extremely um rich like on every level Mm -hmm. and i feel like a christopher nolan movie is extremely rich on like the the visuals and the and the the scale and the gimmicks are going to be great but i feel like i'm not going to get like fully drawn characters or like things that are sort of emotionally resonant they're going to be like uh f- like s- sort of intellectually interesting mm-hmm. um but they but they won't feel like life they will feel almost like uh like a puzzle or a game okay and that's what you were expecting from Tenet, I take it? Yeah, yeah, yes, that is what I was expecting from Tenet. Um, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I definitely don't think the emotional depth is really Nolan's strength. I do think there are a couple counterexamples. I mean, a movie you and I both love, uh, I know, because we've talked about it ad nauseum, is The Prestige, which yes, um, I definitely think has a lot more like the characters in the prestige I personally find to be more full, fully fleshed out than in most Nolan films. And I would also say, um, actually the movie insomnia, I think has a lot more, you know, like, like Pacino and Williams performances in that movie. I find to be a lot more like at the heart of the movie than, than most Nolan films where, you know, it's sort of, like they're more cerebral. Typically they're more about an idea or as you said, as you called it a gimmick. Whereas I feel like insomnia was just about like these two men, you know, and their actual, their actual relationship. Um, I guess another, I guess another film that sort of, I would say bucks that, you know, it proves it provides another counter example would have to be the dark Knight. I mean, with the Joker and Batman's sort of like, you know, relationship, um, at least I would argue that, that it, it kind of has more, more depth of character and, and emotional depth to it. i I feel than than a lot of Nolan's films since then. Like I think, um, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and now Tenet, I, I, I think all fit 
the pattern you're describing. Um, yeah, I think I think even the prestige does as well, except I think the prestige also happens to have like I just think maybe a script that's like a degree or two better than all those other films and, and probably Jackman. and Hugh Jackman. I actually think who that makes like, a huge difference. I, I totally agree. He's like one of the I, I think he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. And is and honestly, like can't almost can't play a part that isn't sort of like very like emotionally uh, rich. Like he sort of just brings yeah. all of this. Like he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do some emoting in my performance. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Right. As opposed to like, I don't think you can say the same thing about like John David Washington, for example. Right. Like his performance is very sort of uh, mannered in this movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I think Nolan's worked with many great actors, but I just think Hugh I almost think Hugh Jackman is just so different from your typical like leading actor in a Nolan film, if that makes sense. Yeah. He I think he just sort of balanced Nolan's like natural inclinations a little bit in that movie. And I yeah. might, might be giving Hugh Jackman more credit than he deserves for doing that. But I, I just really feel like the main character of Angier and the way Hugh Jackman played him in that movie felt very like not normal Nolan. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I actually, I might say the same about Pacino and in insomnia, but anyway, but I think like, like DiCaprio and in inception, like DiCaprio is a great actor, right? But him and in inception yeah. or John David Washington and Tenet, um, or, or like Guy Pierce in Memento, right? They all have like a certain yeah. sort of, I just want to say like kind of blandness to them, you know? Right. Um, that's sort of like they're more, their character's role is more about mo- propelling the story forward. You know, that's kind of like their, that's the part they play more than, you know, more than like Angier in the prestige kind of, adding this richness and depth to the, to the whole, um, feel of the movie. Right. Right. Um, or the Joker, I would argue in dark Knight. but anyway, sure. Um, I gotta say though, I think one way that you and I differ, it might be, it might not be that much of a difference, but it sounds like for you, you know, you always like the Nolan films kind of despite these shortcomings. Um, Whereas for me, it's more like I generally just love them and I'm sort of like aware of the shortcomings you're talking about, but they don't bother me in the slightest. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, like as long as the execution is as good as it typically is. Um, and there are some exceptions. I mean, like I, I, I'd have to go back and watch it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but the movie Batman Begins, for example, I remember mm-hmm. being pretty underwhelmed by and I think. And I think it's sort of because one, it didn't have that like emotional or thematic depth that you're talking about, but it also didn't have that great of like, there wasn't anything that great about it other than it was like, you know, gritty, realistic Batman. Um, right. But it wasn't anything like mind blowing. It wasn't anything that really stretched your, like introduced you to a totally new sort of idea, like the way inception did or the way I would argue tenant does. Um, right. So, but, but typically like movies like Inception or Tenet, I'm like totally on board with, and I'm just like, yes, I want to see this completely unique, you know, 
just movie that's kind of almost like creating a genre of its own. You know, like when people, when people talk about inception, um, like people compare things to inception and they use the, they use the term inception, you know, to describe what inception was about. And, and it's because it just sort of, for a lot of people, and I always feel weird kind of crediting Nolan with this stuff because I always have a feeling that if I'm like, Nolan was the first to do this, there'd be some like, you know, student of film who'd be like, he's not the first to do that. That was done back in 1965, you know, with this obscure film. And I'm like, okay, but for many, many people, he's, he he popularized is the first one they would see that would do a thing like that. Um, so anyway, that's a very long preamble, but I was super psyched for Tenet. I was, I was, I just like had a feeling it was going to be amazing. Um, you know, from the trailers, I, I watched the very first trailer. I don't think I watched any trailers after that. Cause I didn't want it to sort of, cause you know, as, it, as these days, it's sort of like the first trailer tends to be good. And then like the next one tends to reveal a bit more. And by like the final trailer, if you watch the final trailer, it just tells you everything, you know? Right. So I was like, I don't, right. I don't want to see like the later trailers. I just saw the, like the kind of tantalizing, I think first one where you just, they don't even mention anything about, they don't say anything about time going backwards. I think there's just like that shot of the car uncrashing and then, right. And then like the guy coming out of the, the turnstile sort of seemingly backwards right at the end of the trailer. And you're like, and it's just enough for you to know, like something weird with time going backwards right. is happening in this movie. But, but that's all yeah. you can really put together. Uh, so I was super psyched. Um, now let's talk uh, first impressions. What was your first impression coming out of the movie? And and let's let's pretend as this movie ended, we had a we had an automobile debacle. So let's just pretend that didn't happen yeah. if you can, and sort of yeah, fast yeah, yeah, forward yeah. to like yeah, what were your what were your I, takeaways? I think, and I think this is a movie that I have to admit I. Unders- I think at one point I even quantified it. I was like, I feel like I understood like 60% of this movie, mm-hmm. right? And then you and I had like a long conversation. And by the end of that conversation, I was like, I feel like I understand maybe even 85 or 90% of this movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. And so it was like, um, and so I, I think that's all to just call out. Like my first impression was I, I found it very uh, impressive visually. I was excited and like, and entertained the entire time. I was never like, I never felt like I was bored, but I knew as it was happening and there were certain parts where I could tell, and we can talk about this later. Like there were certain parts I was like, Oh, this is important. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. (laughs) Right. Like there, there are like parts in the movie where like I could tell the way the filmmaking was happening. It's like you, like this is a payoff of an important detail. And I was Mm. like, I don't understand Mm. why this is important. Right. (laughs) Uh-huh. And so, um, in that regard, uh, like my, it, it was a movie that I, I liked and was, uh, and, and I felt like the, the sort of the trick as I called out earlier was very effective. Um, but at the same time it, you know, made me feel a little dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I, I, I definitely feel that too. Well, I'll just say my takeaway. Well, okay. So you liked it, but it made you feel a little dumb. And I think when we talked 
you also said it, 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 it. I got the impression from what you said. I don't know if you explicitly said it. It sounded like it was among your least favorite Nolan films, like bottom bottom half for sure. I would. Or would uh, you have to think about I it guess, some more? I, I guess so. And and I think the thing that I want to say about that is like I have liked every Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, so it's not yeah, like yeah. I dis. It's not like I disliked the film. It's more just like it didn't work for me at the same in uh, to the same degree that several of his other films have. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I got that, and I get that, um, and I can't quite even. I think the more it's the more that time has passed, I really don't, I don't feel like I can quite justify it, but I just like completely loved it. I think, I think my, uh-huh. my initial takeaway, like the night I saw it the first time, cause I actually saw it once before we saw it together. Um, yeah. was, I was like, I think this is my favorite. I think like, I like this more than the prestige. Um, right. Which sounds crazy because I actually, you know, we were talking a minute ago about how the prestige is sort of like, transcends I feel your typical kind of Nolan you know film in that it kind of ticks these boxes that he normally doesn't tick but I think I guess what it must be for me is just like as you put it the gimmick for Tenet is just so tantalizing and I feel I feel executed so well although I don't think flawlessly I do think there's things that don't really hold up but I think it holds up so well like so much better than like anyone could expect a movie that's two and a half hours long to actually hold up with a premise as like bonkers as the premise of Tenet is. And so, and I think I just loved, I I kind of agree with you. Like it makes me feel kind of dumb too. Um, but not like so dumb. Like firstly, I don't think Nolan like nailed it. I don't think like every little detail in the movie makes perfect sense. Right. I could be wrong. And if, if, if I knew for sure that were, were the case, then I think it would make me feel more dumb. But I actually think that right. there are some things that don't make perfect sense. And so I'm like, I don't think I'm dumb. I think they just don't make perfect sense. But, right. um, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the movie, um, is, is really, really smart. And I think I loved like, the process of trying to put together pieces as the movie was playing out. And then also after the movie ended, still thinking about it and still trying to like connect certain things and figuring out how they worked. And the fact that like having seen it twice and still thinking about it sometimes, I still don't feel like I'm, you know, quite get everything, but I do think a lot of things make sense. And I think it's sort of, it's just one of those movies that when you, you can think about it more and figure out more stuff after the fact. And it's like rewarding to do that. So it's, it, 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 for me, it's like, it's like this residual enjoyment that, that doesn't go away much, much more so than most movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like keeps, it keeps bringing me joy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Is kind of, I think why I love it so much. So I, I would say I think that this might actually surprise you. Like, I think the gimmick in Tenet, like the 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 sort of mechanic mm-hmm. that he's figured out, is probably the most impressive mechanic of any of his movies. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, which we haven't even we haven't spoiled it yet, which is kind of funny. But like, and uh, we should think we're not in spoilers yet. <laughs> right? I think it's more impressive than the sort of concept of dreams 
within dreams. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's more impressive than sort of the, the punchline of interstellar, which is like uh, gravity as this thing that transcends time and space. Well, and well, love uh, being and, and, and love being the other one. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Um, like I, I think, um, I probably prefer the slightly simpler sort of just like thematic, uh, sort of insistence of the prestige, which is like this idea of, uh, doubles, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like how everything is, everything is paired. Right. Um, and do, and like, uh, every problem has a twin problem somewhere else. Like I, I found, I, I enjoy that more, but it's not as impressive. I feel like Tenet is just sort of like, Oh, this is like clearly the most impressive because it's not just something that in any individual set piece is, you know, very like captivating, but also has to hang together like across the entire movie in such a way that none of his other movies require with maybe I, and I was thinking about this recently, the exception of, uh, memento. Memento, Yeah. Yeah. Um, memento is sort of like an interesting, like echo of this movie. Um, but at any rate, like, so I think that's the thing I want to call out is like, it's, I think this is probably the most impressive sort of like mechanical feat that he's accomplished. Um, and in some ways, like it's kind it's, it's a stunning thing, which to me, like is one of the reasons that it was, uh, you know, I, I still like quite like it and quite want to talk about it just for that. And it's like the puzzle aspect that you describe is, um, really key. I think, like the comparison that I would make is, you know, I, I totally agree that this is a movie that you can sort of intellectually try to unpack over and over again because it's this like difficult thing to parse. And I think the difference between you and me is that, uh, like if I compare it to like you and I sometimes play video games that are often like sort of just stuffed with puzzles mm-hmm. and you're the type of person who has the capability to like solve every puzzle in the game. Right. And I'm the type of person who will solve the minimum number of puzzles it takes to get through the game. I don't think that's true. No, that's not true. And, and then like, I will try my best to solve like the ones that I couldn't get, but I will eventually give up. I will eventually walk away and say like, yeah, I don't know. I just can never figure that one out. And I was sort of like, done trying right yeah um I, well i think the truth is you and i both I, I, there's there's no game you 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 could you might think you could but i don't think you can name a game where i solved all the puzzles i think <laughs> i think we both walk away after some amount of time um but uh but yeah i mean i think your point is just that my my threshold sort of seems to be a little a little farther on the spectrum than yours like i am willing to endure <laughs> more like <laughs> well well i think i think maybe that but also you've probably just got like a little more horsepower than i do and so mm-hmm. like like even if we were both willing to spend equal time right you're just going to get farther than i am you know what i mean yeah and so you'd be like oh i've I, f- I found it that much more rewarding and i was like yeah i got stumped on you know world three <laughs> or whatever you know like well well i don't i don't know i don't know that this movie is like Again, I don't think this movie is 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 perfectly assembled. Like I don't I feel like 
it definitely takes some intelligence to process this movie, but it, I, I must say it's strange to me because I've talked to people who saw, who saw it and said, like, I had no idea what that movie was about. And that sort uh-huh. of bugs me almost because, like, and I'm talking about smart people. And I'm like, right. I feel like you just weren't trying then. Like, it's not right. that complicated. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, it is complicated. I think it's probably... It probably also has a lot to do with people's sort of like what people are used to, you know, like if you're someone who doesn't watch a lot of movies, maybe you just watch like Mm kind of like big releases and every movie you watch is always just like a linear, you know, narrative. And then you happen Mm -hmm. to see Tenet and you're like, what the heck was that? Like versus, you know, you watch a lot of Tarantino films or like indie films that sort of play with time more, play with chronology more, play with like unreliable narrators, magical realism, just like things, symbolism, you know, like I love David Lynch and I love, you know, a lot of movies that don't put things, present things to you in a straightforward manner. So like this movie Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like that much of a stretch to me, you know, whereas I could see how maybe, maybe some people it's just so far from what they're used to, but be that as it may, like I said, I, I find it a little frustrating when I hear that because I just don't think this movie was, it's not like you need a PhD to, to get it. You know, it's just, right, it's right. just, it's just so unusual. Um, but, but anyway, um, so I loved it. I, mm-hmm. I still love it. I think that, I think that the idea that it's my absolute favorite is I suspect might not quite stand the test of time. Like the prestige might sort of bump back into the lead at some point. Cause that's long been my yeah. favorite Nolan film. Yeah. Um, yeah. But right now this is right up there with, pre- it's sort of like neck and neck for me. Yeah. One thing I yeah. will say, cause you, you brought this up earlier about this, having something that, you know, the gimmick and the sort of execution of the gimmick being kind of on the same level with memento. I actually think this movie memento and the prestige all have, all have something in common in that unlike other Nolan films, they all sort of have like this thing that has to be true. The whole movie, you know, like the way the movie ends up sort of informs the way the whole movie plays out. Um, Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, the sort of twists that are revealed and say like the final third of each movie kind of like actually, actually, required the movie leading up to that point to go a certain way. Whereas like inception or something like that in comparison, or even interstellar, I'd argue certainly, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly any of his other more traditional movies. Like it's not like, it's not like, um, put it this way. It's not like the screenplay was written. And then as they were filming, like the very first scene, they had to be like, now remember, right this is the premise. Yeah. So we have, the scene has to play out this way, right? Like, it's just like, right. There's, you didn't have to think about what happens at the end of the movie to make the beginning of the movie make sense. Right. But, um, you know, like, a, like, a you know, the sort of stereotypical or textbook example of, of this would be like the sixth sense, you know, a movie where like mm-hmm. you go back and watch it and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, like they had to film every scene in this way. Once you know what the twist is or like, Fight Club, you know, is like another good one. Right. Um, right. But I think the prestige and memento and tenet are the only Nolan films like that. Right. 
where there's something you learn right. later in the movie that kind of makes things that happened earlier in the movie make more sense. And they had this, they sort of had to do it in a way that was consistent with that. Yep. Um, yep. So, so I don't know, maybe there's, maybe there's something, I something th- to, yeah. The uh, interstellar does have an element of that. It, it does. I think interstellar has the sort of loosest form of that. Yeah, I think yeah. That's right. Um, but, but no, that's a good point. Actually, interstellar has, Definitely has more of it than I was thinking until 10 seconds ago. And then I kind of remembered, <laughs> kind of remembered more about Interstellar. But anyway, um, what do we do? What do we do next? We, we talked uh, sort of first impressions and, and uh, or expectations and first impressions. Oh, I guess themes. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, we were sort of saying earlier, I don't find Nolan's films to typically be like really thematically rich. I think, I mean, I, I guess I guess this is almost like a fallback for me. But you know, this movie involves time and like the future uh-huh. and the past. I feel like regret is like a bit of a theme in it, um, or maybe not regret, but yeah, I think I think kind of regret or sort of like just looking back and maybe nostalgia is a better term. Um, but I can't really, I mean, other than just kind of this kind of hand wavy, like vague, like it's kind of got some tinges of this. I don't really feel like yeah. I, I sensed any strong themes from this movie. Do you, do you feel like it had a pretty clear theme or themes? Well, I, I, I don't know if I would call it a theme, but I do feel like it had some pretty sort of persistent questions that it was interested in. Mm-hmm. Like things like the grandfather paradox or things like, um, the idea of predestination. Yeah, right? that's true. Like those, I think those, mo- I think the movie's quite sort of like likes to play with those questions. And I feel like the predestination one, especially is probably the most, um, most interesting one to ponder in as much as it's a movie where, uh, your future, like being able to move through time, the way that the characters can um, raises questions like, uh, therefore, if I am alive right now, does that mean that something in the past, like something in the future is definitely going to unfold a certain Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, the Robert Pattinson character, uh, you know, says several times in the film, he's like, uh, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to get my verb, my verb tense is slightly wrong with the quote, but it's something like what's what's happened happens or something like that. Or what, you know what I mean? He says like what happens happens. I think it's just what's happened happened. Something like that. Right. Um, and what's really interesting about that is character. He's at some points in the film talking about something that he has yet to do, but he talks about it as if it is a thing that has already happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because, and so he's almost arguing like, cause what else am I going to do? But what I am going to do. Right. Right. Um, and so I find the movie's sort of examination of that to be one of its most interesting bits. Um, but otherwise I do agree with you. It's, it's largely like, uh, what you see is what you get kind of movie. Yeah. Right. Like it's about what you, what you're seeing on the screen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right though. I mean, I think you, you nailed it. What the sort of main question that the movie causes you to ponder is, I, I think, I, I think predestination, I would also 
the other sort of flip side of that is free will, you know, yeah, kind of like yeah. definitely challenges your intuition, our intuition of what free will means. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's the main one it's funny because it's one of those, I feel like I can't remember what we were talking about another movie like this. Oh, I know what it was. It was Groundhog Day. I, I was, um, uh-huh. but I think this movie, I was just going to say like the movie itself doesn't actually spend a ton of time on these questions. It kind of glosses over them at a few points, but yeah. it's not like a big focus of the movie, but the, but when you watch the movie, it's sort of like, you can't help it letting it be a, big focus of what you're thinking about, you know, at least that was my experience. So like, I think a lot, like when I try to make sense of certain scenes, I'm like, was this character free to choose their actions in that moment? What does that even, does, is that question, does that question not even make sense? You know, like, right. Um, and, and it, and it sort of would cause me to, to question what is my intuition of what even is free will? you know, and, right. And is it possible in a scenario like this? Um, but, um, but I don't think, I think right, right. But I think the movie, it's more just like the ideas presented in the movie cause you to ask those questions yourself. The, the movie, like, you know, it's left as an exercise to the reader, so to speak, as an exercise to the audience to kind of like run with those questions. Um, right. Which I, again, and I, think I really the way yeah, I think the way that they have Pattinson address that at one point when he's talking about uh, the grandfather paradox, mm-hmm. like you go back in time, you kill your own grandfather, what happens, yeah, right? Like, uh-huh. and so, and one of the characters is like, "What does happen?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And he's like, "Nobody knows. It's a paradox, right?" right? Like, right, right. Um, and so I, and I think that that's sort of the right attitude for a movie like this, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, this is a interesting question. It's unanswerable. This movie's not really going to try yeah. to answer it in any sort of like, you know, philosophically or like laws of physics like way. Yeah. Right. It's just it's just an interesting thing that gets raised by this premise. We're acknowledging it. We it's something we can play with a little bit. But beyond that, like answer. This is not the place to come for answers, which yeah. I think is like a smart, reasonable thing for the movie to do. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, in the movie Looper. I remember like, um, uh-huh. what's the, why am I blanking on the Bruce young actor's Willis. name? No, but the Joseph Gordon, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. He's his character is asking Bruce Willis's character. Who's of course the same person just from the future. He's asking him something about kind of how the whole thing works. And he's like, you're asking for a precise explanation of like a fuzzy mechanism. Right. He was like saying yeah. like, I, it, I can't really explain it to you in a way that makes sense because the the thing itself is not very precise, <laughs> like mm-hmm. cannot be precisely explained, which I, I thought was sort of, I mean, it's not, it's not super satisfying. Like if I were, if I were that character sitting in that diner, I would not be satisfied with that answer. But as far as the movie, I think it's kind of what you're saying, right? It's kind of the movie's way of being like, do you really want us to like get into this? Cause it's not going to make for very good, you know, exciting right. filmmaking. Like the movie won't be much better right, because just, of it. Just yeah. look, it's, it's, I mean, it's not, it's, we don't know. It's not very well understood. So just go with that's it. That's right. I mean, Bruce Willis in that movie says something along the lines of, he's like, look, we could sit here and diagram things out with straws all day, but we have stuff to do. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Like let's go. Um, 
Yeah. So, and I think that any, any movie, any smart movie that know that like knows not to touch the third rail of like the unanswerable question in any meaningful way. It's like, just, just keep going. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's go on to, I think best parts of the movie, right? Which means we're getting into spoilers now. So spoiler warning. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, why don't you go first, Adam? What's, what's one of the best parts of the movie? Well, I think, um, I think for me, I'll I'll sort of frame it as a twofer. And so, uh, the obvious sort of point to make here is that, uh, the movie sort of fundamentally hinges around a mechanic that a person in this film utilizing a technology, a particular kind of technology allows a person to reverse the direction that they are moving through time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and if you are not traveling with that person, uh, or in fact, even if you are, you sort of perceive that person as, uh, by entering into that sort of chamber where the, where that phenomenon sort of unfolds, you perceive that person as traveling, um, both, backwards and forwards through time at the same point in time, Mm -hmm. right? They're Mm -hmm. traveling in both directions simultaneously. Right. Um, and so, uh, the, uh, so the movie becomes somewhat palindromic, right. In, because that's kind of what happens in the midpoint of the film is sort of, we reverse and now we're going backwards through the same events we've already experienced. And so, like once that mechanic, I think that scene where like we are like truly reversing, we're following our protagonist and reversing for the first time is like amazing mm-hmm. uh, because you are realizing precisely what the implicate, like the implications of it are hitting you very quickly. And you're seeing some of those implications unfold in just the way like, the conversation through this, uh, pane of glass unfolds. Mm -hmm. And so like, I find that whole sequence to be quite, quite amazing. But actually the thing that I found better was as that scene was unfolding, I was like, this means that they are going to go back into other things in the movie Mm -hmm. that we have already seen. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And is like that realization and then the subsequent payoff of that realization, that was like the most exciting part to me. Mm. Right. So like that first scene where it's happening, it's like that's the e- that's almost like the easiest one in some ways. Right. You're talking it's about like, the car chase. So I, just the scene in the room with the turnstile. Okay, okay, just with literally Kenneth Branagh, with, the pain of glass with Russian. Ken- uh-huh. Yeah. And it's like that scene is like the simplest version of the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's like happening right then. And all the you know, and it's like there's some weird asynchronous stuff that has to happen. But it's like um, and it was great filmmaking. I found the scene very sort of like edge of seat exciting. And obviously the stakes are very high. Um, and so that was good. But honestly, like the thing that really excited me as sort of the movie progressed, I was like, we're going to go back into the Freeport, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so like, um, so there's a scene rel- somewhat early in the film where uh, with a lot of uh, bluster and fanfare, 
uh, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson are able to bust into sort of an impenetrable like storage facility effectively. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and that was fun. Uh, and there's certainly a great, you know, like action sequence in the middle of that. Um, and when you, when they go through the turnstile and we like fully understand like the, like what the implications are going backwards in time, I was like, Oh my gosh, they're going to go back there. They're going to go back to the place that we already had this amazing like action sequence in Mm -hmm. and then like them paying that off and then paying that off in ways that, you know, like on one hand, you know, how what it's going to be right and on the other hand it's still like great um yeah it's like that was like really exciting see it play out the opposite direction right yeah yeah sort of understanding a totally new way yeah so my favorite i i would say probably my favorite bit in the movie was the freeport but i i mean both the first part and the second part Mm -hmm. you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like the the initial visit and the revisit later yeah no i i think i would agree i think that was probably the highlight for me as well, like, you know, it, it's what's interesting and, and we'll get to, I'll say more about this later. Cause I actually didn't love the inverted bullets in general, but like the, yeah. the, in the beginning when he learns about the inverted bullets, one thing that I feel is very effective about that coupled with the Freeport scene is like initially the movie is introducing this idea of like objects moving through time backwards. But, mm-hmm. but I think he might've even asked like, I don't remember if he asks about people moving backwards or not, but it's sort of almost like it's a, it's almost like unthinkable. Like you couldn't do this with a whole person, right? That, that couldn't mm-hmm. work. Right. And then, and then in the Freeport scene, when they go up to the turnstile and, and the guy comes out going backwards in time, it was just like, Whoa, you know, like mm-hmm. this is a whole person, you know, going backwards, like the bullet. And then like, just that fight scene where there's like some occasional, just like very unnatural, you know, motions that happen as he like does a backwards flip, you know, landing like into the wall and like stuff like that. Like I found that to be just super exciting Um, because it was just, it's just, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like the same thrill of, of seeing something totally alien, you know, for me, cause I love mm-hmm. sci-fi where like you've got aliens who are, who are like totally different from humans and you don't understand what, where they're coming from or how they work, you know? And it sort of had, yeah. was like that, you know, it's like, this is a thing, a guy moving backwards through time. I don't un- even understand how you fight a guy like this, you know? Um, right. And, and, but it's so mysterious. Like you don't know who it is. You don't know what that, what that character wants, you know? Right. Um, but then like you, when you, when you, when you couple that with the, the companion scene later in the film and you're like, Oh, it's him. And you're seeing, you're seeing it all play out there. And for me, even, I got to say, you know, you were giving me a lot of credit, I think undeserved credit earlier for being so smart. Like I don't, I didn't even realize until, um, he goes through the turnstile and then he starts running, you know, and Neil is chasing him and then Neil takes off his helmet. I'm like, I'm like, that all makes perfect sense. But I like, I didn't even sort of think about that until that part of the scene, you know, of like, of like, oh, Neil just like saw it was him. And then 
let him go. Because right. that's one of those things that happens in a movie where I'm just like, I don't really get what just happened, but whatever. I'll probably figure it out later, you know? Where, like, yeah, yeah, where yeah. like the one guy gets away and Neil's like, I dealt with him. And I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> whatever, right. moving on. Popcorn. Mm. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, like, like the, the, way it, the way it played out and the way it ended of just, like, him bolting for it, Neil taking his helmet off, then making eye contact, and then him just, like, going, you know? was all super satisfying um i think for me i mean another scene that i gotta say for me is among the highlights of the movie is just the very opening in the opera um Mm -hmm. i think i mean it was super confusing i like even the second time i was like this scene is hard to follow (laughs) but um Uh but it's just so darn exciting like i thought and i do think this is something that we we got a degraded version of at the, at the drive-in experience because the music, yeah. but like, I remember certainly the first time I saw it, cause I saw it, I told you, I saw it in like an IMAX theater, like practically yeah. empty. Um, which I got to say, if, if, if you can somehow manage to, to luck out and be in that situation, that's a pretty sweet way to see it. Um, it was just like, so the mu- the music is so like pulsing, and they're just like running. Yeah. I feel like the camera, like following them, like, you know, sort of like as they're sort of being dispatched and executing this plan, you don't even know what the plan is, but you're just like, this is exciting. Right. You know, um, yeah. you got these like terrorist guys, like shooting people. You got these like SWAT guys. They're like, they're, they're on it. You know, they, they've got these yeah. canisters of gas. They're doing something, you know, it was just, yeah. um, I think I just really loved the way the scene was put together, even though I, like I said, I, I found it pretty confusing. Um, yeah, but, um, but I think you kind of get the main things you get from it are, which are, are worthwhile are just like the protagonist, you know, is kind of this like elite, uh, is this, this elite, you know, soldier basically, um, he's on a very important mission, you know, the stakes are, are high that like every, every second matters, you know, um, yeah. And, uh, and it was very, uh, to me, it was like a super adrenaline rush kind of way to start things off, to kick things off. So that was a pretty big highlight for me as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I liked, I just liked so many parts of this movie. Love the kitchen fight <laughs> personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Using a box grater on a dude's ear. Pretty great. I, I, mean, I don't think I even caught it the first time because like things happen so fast. But the second time I just love like, cause you know, knowing how it's going to play out and he's just like walking in there with, with all this like cockiness. And he's just like, I ordered my soup an hour ago. <laughs> and then they just, yeah, start, I feel like then they punch him. Um, I just, yeah. The protagonist being like, quippy and one-linery mm-hmm. like throughout the film i feel like is a is a good choice right because john david washington is just naturally like a funny actor yeah right um and so i think you know that's probably one of the things that i would like knock like inception for is just generally not having a huge sense of humor yeah, right yeah um and i just feel like you know, with with uh, John David Washington doing sort of like his best sort of Spider-Man quips, mm-hmm. like in the middle of these hairy situations <laughs> often, it's just like it just keeps it fun. It yeah. just keeps it lighter. Um, he, yeah, he's just a less sort of heavy presence than maybe some of the other Chris Nolan 
protagonists. Yeah, he's just, I mean, I feel like that scene actually like accomplishes something too, though, which is just kind of like helping you to understand because because that opening scene, you're like, okay, he's start, he's part of the CIA strike force or something, but like I don't, and then and then you know, obviously he he's he's being tortured and he doesn't give up his teammates, so you know he's got this mm-hmm. like fortitude, but but I feel like the kitchen scene is just like a good sort of quick economical way of showing you like this guy's a highly trained, you know, mm-hmm. fighter who's very confident and like surrounded by these like Russian thugs, he's not even remotely nervous about himself you know like he he even tells her in the dining room she's like i forget what she says to him but he's just like it might not this might not play out the way you think you know he's he's just like i'm gonna take these guys out this is not this is not gonna end badly for me well he like slips a phone in her pocket or whatever right right? or a phone number maybe yeah um phone and uh and she's like you know I won't be hearing from you yeah. or something like that. And he's like, I might surprise you. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I really liked that scene. Um, as well. I love, I loved the bit. And I think this movie, is, um, has a few different things like this where like you called out the scene that you see, the, the way you watch it when you're seeing it at the beginning of the movie, before you've watched the entire thing, you have a certain reaction to it. And then necessarily the way the rest of the movie plays out as you're revisiting it in your mind, or if you were to watch the movie again, the scene has like different resonance for you, mm-hmm. right? Because of all the additional sort of context that you learn as the movie progresses. But like something that I quite enjoyed is um, there's a there's at least a few different sort of heists in this movie, right? Um, where it's like, hey, there's a thing in a place and, or a person in a place and we need to like get in and get out without dying, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just generally find heist planning to be delightful. <laughs> I love when characters like talk about like, here's how we're going to do the secret illegal thing that we're going to do, yeah. right? And so um, just, uh, and so I'm, I'm specifically speaking about there's a point where uh, after um, the, our, the protagonist meets uh, Robert Pattinson's character, um, they they plan sort of how are they going to get into this sort of impenetrable high rise, yeah, right? Yeah. Which I think is extremely clever the way they, they the way they do that. Um, but uh, there's like a little bit uh, during sort of the period where they're sort of meeting each other for the first time in the film, where. Uh, the protagonist, uh, uh, Robert Pattinson orders a diet Coke mm-hmm. for the protagonist. The protagonist says, I prefer soda water. And Robert Pattinson says, no, you don't. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. and, um, it plays as, uh, Pattinson just being sort of like a really good, like he's like done people research, reader. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Or that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, something like that, right? Like, he's like, no, I've read your file, and, right. you know, you like Diet Coke. But it's like, uh, as the movie unfolds, um, and you basically realize that Neil and the protagonists are, uh, like, old friends, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. just our protagonist doesn't know it. It makes you, like, it makes me enjoy a line like that so much more. Right. Because, like, Neil understands he's like, I know you really well, 
you don't know that I know you really well. Right. And I need you to not know that we are actually like close friends. Yeah. And so like the way I'm going to get away with that is just say like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and so a scene like that, um, it like combined like something like the sort of lightness and charm that I think the, both those actors bring to the film during sort of like a heist planning sequence. And it's like made richer by the fact that like later as you understand the movie and sort of the plot better, you revisit a scene like that and you're like, oh, this is actually like two old friends mm-hmm. like talking about like their familiarity with one another. But you f- in the beginning, you f- ma- it's masquerading as a scene where it feels like people are meeting for the first time. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's nice. It's a nice Nice little detail. I I, I kind of wish there were more things like that in the movie. Actually, yeah, yeah. Because that that I agree. That's a sweet little bit of dialogue that pl- that works both ways. I feel like there might be one or two other things like that in the movie, but it, there's really not a lot. Um, I think, you know, th- I mean, <laughs> one that's like a little strange actually is is the, a scene like in a hotel room when when Neil's just like, well. I clearly know more than I'm supposed to, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. and, but what's, what's, what's bizarre is just like from his perspective, he already knows everything and he's just like sort of playing out, you know, he's like saying the words he's supposed to say, but from the protagonist's perspective, he has no idea. So that scene, I feel like, and a lot of scenes like that where Neil is, you know, sort of just playing dumb are, are just interesting to watch when you know, I don't think they're necessarily, they're certainly not bad. Like you sort of get the premise of the film is, is he is, he is purposefully like acting a certain way because things need to play out a certain way. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just strange. It's, I guess it's strange to like put yourself in those shoes and be like, that'd be weird to just be sort of like pretending that you're learning all these things at the same time as this other person, but you just kind of already know everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's going to happen. Cause you've been going backwards in time for presumably a long, long time. You've sort of been through everything that's going to happen. Um, cause the whole thing is a pincer movement. Uh, I don't have any other highlights. I think personally, I mean, there's a lot that I do like about the movie, but maybe it'll be interesting to talk about fixing the movie. What, uh, okay. What, what's the first thing you'd say? Well, I mean, I think the most obvious thing that was less satisfying for me than I think, uh, I I think your mileage may vary on this. So the sort of climax of the film Mm -hmm. where, uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character is trying to basically stall for time with Kenneth Branagh's character. And then simultaneously there is like basically just a full on like four different battalions traveling in different directions through time on two different sides of sort of alliance, uh, like engaging in a firefight in sort of a desert, a desert kind of area. Mm-hmm. Like, for a movie that seems to be all about like moving through a space and then returning to it, traveling the opposite direction, it felt weird to me that our climax was a place we'd never been before. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, Oh, this, and I, it was sort of like basically trying to accelerate, um, 
like the feeling that the it was earned by having people traveling both forward and backward through the same event at the same time. Um, but I just found myself sort of wishing that the climax was happening at the symphony at the mm-hmm. opera house. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was just sort of like, wait, that's the way this all started. Shouldn't that be the way that this all ends? Like, isn't that sort of the thing with this movie? Um, yeah. And so I, and, and I, I, the movie does do a good job like early on setting up that, that, that third location is going to be the place that like all of this shakes out. It just felt like, um, felt like an excuse. Like we wanted to have a battle sequence that with two armies moving both forwards and backwards in time at the same time, therefore, how are we going to fit that in? Right. Cause I'm never going to, but it was like, but that's not the right place for this movie. Yeah. Right. This yeah. movie, this should have been at the opera house. I mean, or like if, if they had, there had been some way that in the beginning of the movie, like maybe during the opera, you know, scene, cause it was apparently sort of concurrent with that. Like if they right. had shown parts of like the battle moving forward in time, you know, towards the beginning of the movie. And then like mm-hmm. at the end, they're showing like the blue team or whatever going backwards. Right. And you're like seeing the things you saw in the beginning of the movie that had been moving forward. Cause I think I take your point. Like we haven't seen this location before, right. It has no significance yeah. to us really. Um, so I think, I think, I guess one, one option would have been to go back to the opera, which we had seen, or another option would have been to actually have scenes at this location, you know, that have any relevance to the story, um, prior so that then coming back to it would have felt more satisfying, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of that scene, I got to say something that was very strange to me. And I saw them the second time because I was looking for them. But the first time around when, when I first saw this movie, I really felt like in that scene, I didn't even see any like enemies. (laughs) I just saw like, I just saw like the tenant troops just like firing guns, like walking through space and firing. And I'm like, I just feel like we're not seeing the antagonists at all in this group. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, like I said, I saw them the second time around. They're like in windows and stuff, but I'm just like, I feel like just the way the scene was shot, it kind of missed, like, it kind of missed some sort of basics of filming an action scene, you know? Like, you just don't really see the enemy very well. Yeah, I actually think that that's probably one of my bigger gripes with Chris Nolan movies in general, is like, I actually, for movies that are so action-heavy and are so renowned for having such great action i actually don't find him to be like a great director of action like i'm often confused and disoriented by his action sequences Mm -hmm. they're just very like well shot and loud and exciting but i don't know where anybody is or often i don't like what what they're trying to accomplish or where they're trying to go right and so it's sort of like I felt that way about that sequence too. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is very loud and very exciting. Yeah. And I do love, you know, and there's some astounding visuals in there, right? The idea, the, the building that gets blown up, uh, twice sort of in revert. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once forward, once backwards at the same moment in time is like pretty mind blowing visual. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I don't, yeah, like there was, I mean, and this is sort of telling on myself, like there was a point 
after the protagonist and um, what's his name? Like the the military, uh, like the army battalion leader right. guy. I don't know his name. Um, um, he's act- No, he's a famous actor. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, the actor, Aaron something. Taylor. It's going to bother me. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah. Right. Um, like, so, you know, bad guys trying to bury the MacGuffin in, and there's like a dead body on the ground. And then, you know, right when the bad guy's about to dispatch of our heroes, like the dead body jumps up and like saves them and runs away. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I di- like, I, that's all happening. And I'm like, I really have no clue what is going on Mm -hmm. in this sequence. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was, and I, and even after the, after I watched the movie, didn't understand what was going on. Then after you and I had a conversation, still didn't understand like some of the finer points of that. And then it was only after like reading about something with regarding this movie later, I was like, that I was kind of, and then again, spoiler alert for the listener at home, like I was like, Oh, that was Robert Pattinson. <laughs> like, so, oh, so you didn't get that at all. Like the whole like backpack had the thing on uh-huh, it. Like uh-huh. I remember at the very and th- this is the thing I was talking about earlier in, uh-huh. in the podcast where it was like at the end of the movie when they're having sort of a reverse Casablanca moment and Robert Pattinson is basically like this is the end of a long friendship right. that we've already had. Yeah. Right. And they're like close up of trinket on backpack. Right. You missed and I'm it. like, <laughs> and I, I'm like fry with not sure if face. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's important. <laughs> I don't recall why. Right. Cause I just not like noticed that as like, Oh, right. The corpse in the tunnel mm-hmm. has the thing. And Robert Pattinson is basically telling, like he is knowingly going to go die yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. Um, and it just was like, uh, like not, I'm sure there's lots of stuff like that in that sequence. It's like, this is meaningful and these details matter. And, but I, like the way that I perceived it, the, as I was watching, I was like, this feels very blustery and noisy. And mm-hmm. I don't know why people are doing what they are doing. And, but I do know like, but you know, it's fine. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride along with this, but yeah. like, it was just one of those like sequences where I was like, it felt like because it was new, because I didn't understand sort of the objectives of the thing, because like you can say the words temporal pincer movement to me, but I don't know what that like means. Like I have a hard time visualizing like, Oh, okay. Uh, knowing everything that I know about pincer movements, which is a lot because I definitely (laughs) know a lot about that. Like, um, I understand sort of that metaphor right away. Right. But it was. And so I that that's a whole sequence where it's like I found myself retroactively just again saying like would have been better if this was at the opera. I understood Mm -hmm. the opera. There's even a big there's even a big explosion at the opera. You need a thing to like blow up but not blow up. You've got the explosion. It's right there. Um, So at any rate, that was my that's my two cents on a thing that I sort of in hindsight wish was changed. And I would have rather have just seen like a short film from Christopher Nolan that's like forwards battle backwards battle <laughs> yeah i mean i think the the whole the whole well so hold on real quick i want to go back to the the robert pattinson's backpack thing so did you not notice that in the very beginning at the opera there was like a did he 
there's a soldier who Did like he, saves him. Like he's about to get shot and then he, there somebody does an inverted bullet and takes out the guy who's like pointing a gun at him and that that character runs off and you see the little charm. Oh, yeah. That all makes sense. No, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, so that was Robert Pattinson. So, I mean, I feel like when you see it at the end, for me, the implication is like Robert Pattinson has sort of been this guardian angel who sort of like yeah. saved him in a number of places. Um, but anyway, yeah, about the pincer movement, um, I, I think to me, the pincer movement is one of those things that just like sounds really cool. And it and like he came up with the idea and he's like, they'll, they'll like have half the team moves forward and half the team moves backward. And isn't that super sweet? Um, but I'm like, in terms of the actual mechanics of it, 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 it is hard for me to wrap my head around. And, and I, and I have trouble understanding like what the actual benefit of doing it is. Um, Mm -hmm. except, except for it is actually, I think a much more serious Nolan, flavored version of basically what bill and ted does in like bill and ted's excellent adventure where they're like we should go and like you know get the thing and put it here for us to find right and then mm-hmm. like there it is mm-hmm. they do their little guitar like mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah i think that's basically what a pincer movement is in this film it's like or a pincer pincer maneuver whatever you call it where they're yeah. like, where they're like, okay, for this battle, we should have half of our team go off and not participate in the battle, and then co- go backwards through it, you know, and then mm-hmm. and then like, then they can tell us what happened, and then they're like, here mm-hmm. they are, <laughs> here they right. are, because we planned to do it, it has now been done, and they're you right. know, and they've come meet us halfway. Although, that's kind of what I thought after the first viewing. After the second viewing. I realized that like really what was happening in the um and during the car chase was that Sater just goes off to like a hiding place, right? And he says, like, just tell me everything that happens as it happens, and then yeah. I'll know what happens. But what's like bizarre about it is what happens includes him going backwards through time. So I find it to be very very paradoxical, very kind of perplexing, like, because, because what he would be hearing, you know, what he would like be hearing them say is like, you are going backwards through time. We see you doing this, right? Yep. We see you doing all this stuff. And therefore, and therefore I know how to do what I do. Right. 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 And we hear you saying these words. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, okay, I will say those words at those moments, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just really weird. But this is, this, this is kind of getting into the free will stuff that we talked about before. Yeah. And that's the sort of patents in like what happens, what's happened, happened, mm-hmm. right? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, um, and that it's sort of like, you, what can you do, you personally, except for precisely what you do? Right. Right. Like, why would you do anything different than what you do? That's exactly like. And so on one hand, it's like very sort of um, almost like poetic and perfect. 
right? It's like, yes, of course, I do exactly what I do because I am me, mm-hmm. right? And like, I am never going to do anything except what exactly I would do. And it sort of like totally flies in the face of this idea of like, I could do like anything right now at all. Cause the truth of the matter is like, no, I'm only going to do what I'm doing. Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, it's funny that separately you were tech, we were texting back and forth and you mentioned that you'd finished devs and this is like the con the TV show devs. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously a concept that devs is like obsessed with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but I find like the movie, I think is very accepting of the fact that it's like, yeah, this is a paradox. Like explaining this is an impossible task, possibly because, um, we perceive time the way that we do. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, um, no, I think that's exactly right. I think, I don't remember if they, they explicitly say it, but I feel like in the dialogue with the scientist, when she's shown him the inverted bullets, she says something about that. Like you, you just think of cause and effect going in the order that you're used to it going because this is how you normally experience time. Right. Right. But they can be reversed. And then like, Mm -hmm. and then like, this is, this is like half me remembering the scene and half me like layering in my own sort of thoughts. But, but like, I think the notion of free will, you, 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 when you think about it in the context of this movie, you similarly like realize my intuition about free will is coupled to my intuition of cause and effect. Right. Yeah. But she says like, the way she, the, what she says and what the way I kind of apply it to that temporal pincer with Seder is like you, it sort of feels like he doesn't have free will in the sort of mm-hmm. backwards half of the scene because everything that right. he's doing was already observed. But, right. but the point is the point of free will is like, it's still him doing it. You know, it's still, Right. It was still his actions. They were just the consequences were observed before before he like, you know, like they were known. Be- he knew what he was going to do before he did it. But it was still like his will that caused it to happen. It's just that his his right. awareness of it didn't coincide his decision. Right. Um, right. And so and so it's it's that that notion that cause, you know, you're seeing the effects before the causes. So it feels like it can't right. be free will, but, right. it, but it's still him, you know, like wh- who, who else could you say caused those things to happen other than Seder? Right. Right. And it's like, right. so, so it's sort of like, it's just, I think it's like challenging your intuition about what it, what it means to like be free. Right. You think, yeah. Um, and it reminds me, I remember reading, right. I remember reading like, this scientific, you know, article some years ago that was like the the headline was very sensationalist. It was like scientists disprove existence of free will or something like that. But it was like a study that showed that your brain makes decisions like milliseconds before you're aware of them basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just even remember at the time being like, that doesn't disprove free will. Like, it's still the person right. making those decisions. You're just talking about the consciousness of the decision sort of lagging the decision itself. Yeah. That's just, that's just like challenging our notion of like, 
what your consciousness is, you know? Yeah. It's like we've tied this idea of our decisions must be surprises to ourselves in order for the decisions to be like truly free. Mm-hmm. And if I know, you know what I mean? Right. Like, and I think with the, this movie is basically saying like, just because you observed yourself doing something doesn't mean that you now don't aren't you doesn't mean that you, you didn't choose to do that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So at any rate, like I, I find this, topic to be quite delightful and and it, it a, hurts a, your brain you know, a little though <laughs> it does hurt your brain a little yeah. yeah because yeah we only know how to perceive time the way that we perceive it and i think at one point like aaron taylor johnson's character is like you're gonna have to start thinking about like time differently mm-hmm. because like if you keep doing this time moves linearly you know past to future like you're never going to win this game. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think, and in some ways that's the type of exact type of like reframing of the, of your brain that, uh, uh, like a Chris Nolan movie is good at doing. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. Love all this stuff. It's so cool. I mean, I, I, I will, well, I guess I'll share a few more nitpicks I have just since we're, in the fix the movie segment, but I think we should wrap it up. Right. But, um, yeah, I do think there's lots of little details in the movie that don't sort of work with that. They feel to me like they were just meant to just kind of be cool, but they don't really work mm-hmm. with like how the overall movie works. Like actually starting with like the inverted bullets, I don't really think those make sense. I think, um, like actually the mechanic of the movie of like, people moving through time is Mm -hmm. what actually strangely does make sense to me. But Mm -hmm. then, but then like inverted objects to me don't really make sense because like the inverted bullets, for example, they start, she's like, she's got a wall with a bunch of bullets in it, you know? And she's Mm -hmm. like, here, pull the trigger and the bullet will go into the gun. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Okay, so the bullet is moving backwards in time, but like, but, but everything else in the movie that we see going backwards through time, it's going backwards through time because a person going backwards through time made it do that thing, you know? Right. Like, but the inverted bullet, it's like the protagonist moving forward in time, pulling it out of the wall. Like, it's like, and, and I think it, it doesn't even, it's not even consistent with, like a a way that I do think makes sense is in the Freeport fight when, when he's going backwards in time, he's firing bullets and, but then going Mm -hmm. forward in time, the bullets are getting like sucked into the gun. Like that Mm -hmm. makes sense to me because it's the actions of a person moving backwards in time perceived by a person moving forwards in time, but the inverted bullets, you know, I just feel like, I just feel like it's kind of a cheat that, that, that is just supposed to kind of be nifty but like the, what it should what what it should look like is like to a person moving backwards in time i guess it would look like the protagonist is firing a gun right into the wall 
Yes. Like, yes. Like, like in other words, to a person moving backwards in time, it would look like a person moving forwards in time is doing something that's going backwards in time. <laughs> like, like it, right. it, it's just, I, I feel like it doesn't, it's not consistent with like the way most of the movie works. Yeah. You know? The idea is like somebody sent these bullets back from the future. Mm-hmm. It's like, and, and I can somehow catch them with this paired gun, right? Somebody fired up the Bluetooth of the bullet and paired it with the gun or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and this is where I like, I think it's just my brain breaking. Like I don't, there's like, but to your point, I couldn't square that either. I was like, but how did the bullet get in the wall? Mm-hmm. Like somebody sent it backwards through time so that he could pull it out of the wall. <laughs> like, um, yeah, and it, it's like, did they send? Did they put the whole rock in the turnstile, and it already had bullets in it? But see, this is what I'm saying. Like, picture the, you, you know, consider the the cl- cracks in the glass at the Freeport. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. it was the same person going forwards in time and backwards in time. You know, yeah, like it was him going backwards in time that fired the bullets into the gun, and then when he's going when he's going forwards in time, he's like sucking them out, like. It, it has yeah. to be the same person, but the bullets yeah. in the wall, when he's sucking them out, it's like, that doesn't make sense because he wasn't going backwards in time and fired into the wall. You know, that's the right. only way it would make right. sense for them to get sucked into his gun. <laughs> so I'm just, right. I'm just like this inverted bullets idea, I think is just yeah. nonsense. Inverted objects yeah. that travel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Without like a person's motivating action yeah. feels like not consistent with the rest of the thing i think i think that's right um uh also i think the car like the explosion causing the car to like turn to ice yeah it's just like i mean it's it's neat and it and it is consistent with like this one throwaway line of dialogue where like fire will feel cold because temp because heat will be flowing you know like from in the opposite direction but but, but i'm like but i'm like there's just nothing else in the movie that that behaves that way, you know? Yeah. I thought about that too. And I mean, like, I don't know that which one of these things would or wouldn't make sense, but it was like, I was like, but gravity doesn't go up. Right. Right. Like light isn't inverted or something like, uh, but like oxygen doesn't work backwards. Like I couldn't, I don't, I don't know why that would have been the case. Right. I mean, I think in, I, I sort of like, I don't, I don't think. Do I, I never have to brush my teeth because <laughs> plaque goes backwards in time? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, how, <laughs> how, about, how about think about this one, Adam? How do you eat and go to the bathroom? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just like. I don't really care about little details right. like that. It's more like when the movie. Your in- nose runs up. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I think um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think all this stuff is fine. Like, actually, I, I really don't mind a movie sort of not, you know, being super consistent when it comes to like the nitty gritty details like that. I think it's more just yeah. like these anomalous little um you know, luxuries the movie takes with like, well, just in this one moment, we're going to make an explosion, turn a car to ice, you know? Right. It's like, okay, unless you're going to commit to that being like a, 
the way this world works in general, you know, mm-hmm. then it's just, it feels like it, it, it was just, it, arbitrary. it was just a way to make that scene work. Right. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that old Seinfeld joke where like, they're talking about like, um, like reverse Superman or like dark Superman or mm-hmm. something like that. And Elaine and they're trying, they basically are opening the question of like, what is opposite? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Elaine's like, when does he, what does he, does he say, uh, hello when he leaves a room? <laughs> does he like, uh, does he say, or does he say like bad bye? <laughs> right? Like, uh-huh. What is the, op- what is the, how do you do opposite? Right. right? Like, right. And and I feel like the I was having kind of thoughts like that as I was like when I was like oh oxygen doesn't work and temperature m- moves the opposite way mm-hmm. and I was like I feel like but guns still work somehow <laughs> like explosion like setting off a little explosion in a in a chamber and like propelling a bullet like still is a thing that can happen even though temperature doesn't work the yeah. same way yeah. <laughs> like yeah it's best not to think too much about it. Yeah, yeah. Just just keep going. Um, well, anyway, I, 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 there's all these little gripes you can pick with the movie, but I've already made my opinion known. Thought it was yeah. pretty awesome. Um, do you have anything else to say before we get to beaming it up or not? No, no. I mean, I, I feel like at the end of the day, this is a movie that you loved, I liked, it's a brain teaser. I the char- the performances are are charming. Um, the and all the same sort of gripes that I ever have with a Christopher Nolan movie. I typically I have with this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they apply and they're not, un- but they're not bad enough to make me dislike the movie. Okay. Well, I'm glad they're not bad enough to make you dislike the movie. Would you beam it up? Uh, would I beam it up? you know what i'm doing it's it i know what you're doing it's crazy that i'm gonna say that like i feel so stupid saying this but i feel okay. like my answer is no you're so I feel like my stupid, answer is like <laughs> i feel like like there are other movies i've seen this year that i was like that was great mm-hmm. that was really fantastic and i was like and this one i was like that's good all right it's good it was very good it's fine. We we've disagreed, I think, more this year than typical. Like I feel yeah. like I don't know, past years it seems like we would always agree on whether we'd beam up a movie or not, but I feel like my headspace is very weird and different this year. Yeah. Like I I just feel like I, I, I suspect I will look back on my space flicks evaluations like you know, two, three, four, five years from now mm-hmm. and probably say something like, What was I thinking? Right. But right now, these seem like these seem like good decisions to me right now in the moment. All right. Well, I'm beaming it up. All right. That's I'm not stupid uh, like you. All right. (laughs) All right. All right. right. I'll hit I'll hit the button on your behalf. Thank you, Adam. There we go. Enjoy that astronaut. You can thank me for that one. Not Adam. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been another episode of Space Flicks. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. Signing off. Hey.